0: chapter 3 today, verse 22, and we'll read from verse 22 to verse 36, John chapter 3. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing. And all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Well, let us pray. Father, please take these words, uh, not terribly complicated, but some beautiful utterances that can shape how we live in this world and why we should live the way we should So bless us all to that end, that we may know what it is to make Christ great in all things. Amen. The sin of jealousy is uh, a sin that I think is highly contextual in the sense that uh, you don't realize how jealous you are until you are placed in a context where Uh, there is perhaps a perceived competition that you have either imagined or are in fact part of between you and someone else or even others. And uh, this can be a debilitating uh, sin. It can breed a lot of uh, hatred, not just jealousy. It can cause you to think and say things that are completely unreasonable. And And this usually tends to be in areas where we are um, perhaps talented or where we land a lot of our identity. And you have to think about the areas that you would probably be jealous. If you are a talented individual in many areas, you are probably going to suffer with jealousy more than those who are ordinary people, uh, who don't have a lot of talents. Uh, I try to reduce the amount of talent I have. You can ask uh, Sam. Last night I was asked to make tea at a party and I made the worst tea in the history of tea making. I think it was. uh, When someone starts pouring a bubbly or something into their tea to take away the strength, you know it's not good. And it's a strategy of mine to uh, really not excel in a lot of areas uh, because the uh, chance of being asked to do stuff then goes down. Um, But there are some areas where perhaps we might say, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. Uh, I think if I were to close my eyes and meditate for a minute on the worst thing that could happen to me, it would be me, 25 years old, coming and preaching in this church while I'm away and actually preaching a really good sermon and then coming back to find out that 25-year-old Mark had preached a sermon and everyone says, oh, that sermon was so good. I think that would drive me nuts. I think by nature that would upset me because by nature I don't want some young buck to come in and start, you know, preaching so well and people going, oh, he's a really good preacher. Why? Because I identify my whole life around basically preaching and being a father and a husband and soccer coach. So I'm prepared to accept there's other good husbands in here but maybe in other areas I want to be the best. And you need to think about the areas where you would get jealous. I think also our children, when we see other kids getting things we want for our children, that can be an area of jealousy. As a soccer coach, by the way, I get to hear a lot of things that parents say, and I can spot a jealous parent a mile off. They seem to relish criticizing other kids because they have insecurity over their own kid not doing as well, and so they rubbish other kids. And it's a problem that is universal for us all. We don't like others succeeding where we are not. Now, what does that have to do with what's going on here? Well, there's clearly a major issue of jealousy among John's disciples concerning what is happening regarding Christ and his disciples. And John's disciples have so identified themselves with John that they see his success, in a sense, as their success and God's favor upon them. But then Christ's success becomes a problem for them. So, what is happening? Well, you see that uh, the disciples of John and the disciples of Jesus are baptizing. We know from John chapter 4, verse 2, that it wasn't Christ who was baptizing at this point, but his disciples. And John, who is baptizing near some springs, uh, is doing so, and people are still coming to him. Now, you need to understand that John is the last Old Testament prophet. God's favor is upon him. John has already testified that he is not the Christ. He has already said To Jesus, when he had to baptize Jesus, I'm not unworthy. I'm unworthy to even untie your sandals. So he knew exactly who Jesus was. He knew who He was. But a discussion arises. And maybe this Jew is asking, what exactly is going on? What are all these baptisms about? What authority do you have? But notice John's disciples in verse 26. They come to Him and say, Rabbi... He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look! He is baptizing. And all are going to Him. Now there's a number of things you need to pay attention to here. The first is this. Notice they said, to whom you bore witness. They remember what John had said about Jesus. That should have shut them up right away. They should have said, Rabbi... You know that man to whom you bore witness? Oh, wait a minute. What did you say? Oh, wait. That's no problem then. What's going on is good. But they are so clouded by jealousy that even when they are able to admit a truth about what is happening, they can't appreciate that truth. The second thing is they overstate things. Jealous people tend to exacerbate and overstate What is really the case? Because they want to make a point. So they say, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Now, not all were going to him. There were still people going to John. John's ministry was still popular. There were still people being baptized. But for them, if they perceive more are going to Jesus, then maybe everyone's going to Jesus. That's just how people are. Hyperbole, when it is used, can be a form of jealousy expressing itself. Not always, but often. So that's the issue. Now what does of men born of a woman who is the greatest say in response to that? The greatest person born of a woman according to Christ himself what does he say when his own disciples are concerned about the popularity of Jesus? Well, he begins by understanding something of God's sovereignty. Verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing. One gift, one blessing, one hair on their head, one breath of the air that God has created, one drink of the water that He has provided in this world. No one can receive anything unless God gives it to him. And that is precisely how you deal with jealousy. People who are jealous are practical atheists because they are not living in light of God, but in light of man. They are not understanding this world as governed by a wise, good, gracious God, but a world in which they wish to be governors and lords over everyone, dictating who should get what, when, and how. But John first reminds them that you can receive nothing unless it is given to you from above. Paul had to remind the Corinthians, remember in the section we read earlier, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you have not received? What do you have that has not been given to you from above? If then you received it, as he said, why do you boast as though you did not? Because the natural inclination to all human beings when it comes to their gifts and graces and blessings and whatever those things are is to forget God. Is the bestower of these things. A man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from above. And that cures jealousy. There's a a famous Scottish preacher. His name was Robert Murray McChain. He died at the age of 29. So... If you're a famous preacher and you died at the age of 29, you have to think about his ministry in Dundee. There's a place called St. Peter's in Dundee where he was a uh, a preacher and he was such a godly man that people would say it's like godliness came naturally to him. That's how he appeared. And he had a powerful ministry. And if you read some of his sermons, they are so Christ-exalting and Christ-suffused that you can't help but think there was a special mark upon him from above that was uncommon. And in his ministry, he decided to go to the Holy Land to evangelize the Jewish people, but also because uh, as a sickly person, the warm weather they thought would be helpful to him in his sickness. And when he left Scotland to go to the Holy Land on his travels. He was coming back, I think, through Hamburg. He found out that a young preacher named William Burns, who was preaching for him while he was away, that a revival had broken out. So he'd been ministering to his people, praying for his people, being faithful to his people. He leaves his people. A young minister comes in and a revival breaks out. And he writes to Burns and he says, you remember it was the prayer of my heart when we parted that you might be a thousandfold more blessed to the people than ever my ministry had been. Now, I didn't say this to the people before, so you're getting a bonus point. Please listen to it then, okay? Because to whom much is given, much is expected. Be careful what you pray for, especially if you have a good prayer. It might come true. He prays that Burns would have a thousandfold more blessing. And God then says, okay, I'll bring a revival. When you leave, I will let someone else preach and there will be even greater power so that 40 and 50 people each Lord's Day would be coming and saying, what must I do to be saved? And he continues by saying, how it will gladden my heart if you can really tell me that it has been so. But then he warns Burns. He says, be clothed with humility or you will yet be a wandering star for which is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. In the success that God is giving to your ministry, show humility because you can receive nothing unless it is given from above. The church can receive nothing unless it is given from above. And then he says, let Christ increase. Let man decrease. This is my constant prayer for you and myself. So, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. One of the great passages in God's Word, I believe. But then in verse 28, he says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, listen, I've already told you this. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. Now, 95% of the ministry is telling people the same things they need to hear. And... I just made that number up, by the way. But, you know, people like to give statistics and percentages as if they know. I don't really know. It just seemed like a good number. So I'll be honest about that. But can I say that the vast majority of one's ministry is simply reminding people in situations of things that they already know. Sometimes you tell them something they didn't know it, but that's the rare occasion. A lot of times it's, do you trust God? Is God good? Is God wise? Has Jesus died for your sins? It's the basic truth that people have to hear. And John is saying to his disciples, I've already told you, I'm not the Christ. He's the Christ, I am not. And they need to hear it again. Because they got caught up in envy and rivalry and jealousy and dissension and bickering and all the things that go along with fleshly attitudes towards the ministry. So John is not the Messiah. Then he speaks of who he is in relation to Christ. He's not the Christ, but who is he? Well, verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. This is common sense. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Who is John likening himself to in modern day parlance? He is likening himself to the best man. John Calvin has a comment on this. It's quite striking. I hope you won't mind me quoting him. But John Calvin said, that the man who tries to receive the sort of praise and worship from people that is only due to Christ is like a groomsman who is trying to sleep with the bride before his friend's wedding. So, when you see people trying to take away glory that belongs to Christ, and this happens in churches happens in big churches, small churches, medium churches. It happens in all realms and walks of Christian ministry. Anyone who would take the glory that belongs to Christ is like a man who is trying to sleep with the bride of his best friend. It's just unspeakable. And John is basically saying, I am the last person who is going to try and say, I am the Christ or that you should be following after me. Now, if you're having a slow day today, you go home, you say, Ah, the weather's not great. I'll skip that bike ride or that walk to the pond with the bread flo- throwing to the ducks and stuff. And you say, I'm going to crack open my Bible. Just go and read Judges chapter 14 about. Uh, the Samson and his best mate uh, taking his bride, and even the Philistines who are wicked people seeing the horror of what had happened. You just don't do that. Now, after that comes what I would say, and you will forgive me, I hope, for... uh, the language of a life verse, you know? <laughs> Very North American, isn't it? Uh, what is your life verse? Even uh, get it tattooed these days. That's okay, I'm told. Uh, this is a bit of a life verse, if I may just use that language. He must increase, but I must decrease. Those words are far easier said than done. Let me assure you. So you can have your life verse. You can put a tattoo on with those words. You could etch it into this pulpit. But to actually apply those words in one's life, it takes a work from above. He must increase. I must decrease. What happened to John shortly after saying these words? He was put in prison and then his head was chopped off. So, Robert Murray McChain, be careful what you pray for. John the Baptist, be careful what you say. And everyone sitting here, be careful with these words if you are to believe that Jesus must increase and you must decrease. Because when you come into this world, it is flipped. Everything about your life is, I must increase, I must get better. I must do this, I must do that, I must have the glory. That's how you're constituted. And it's divine grace that comes in and says, No, no, Christ must increase, you must decrease. John the Baptist understood this, and he said it, and he believed it. There's a story of Hudson Taylor, actually. He was going to a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, and they introduced him as our illustrious friend, Hudson Taylor. And if you, you ever want to hear uh, somebody's obituary read while they're alive, go to a, a, a conference, a Ligonier conference or uh, something, and there's a long paragraph of Doctor this, who has written these books and done this and that, and then you go, oh, okay, let it end Hudson Taylor gets up there and says, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. That's all you are. A little servant of an illustrious master. You know, the reformed evangelicalism and evangelicalism and every other isms would be a lot better if people were just simply introduced as a little servant of an illustrious master. That's what the Bible's teaching us here. He must increase, I must decrease. He must have the glory, I must not. But it is very painful to actually enter into that life. Because it doesn't come naturally to us. And then. John, the author, not John the Baptist, I believe this is John's commentary now on why Christ should be first. And he gives a number of reasons. One is he is from above, he is from heaven, he is the one who has seen the face of the Father, he is the one who possesses all things, knows all things, is entitled to all things. He is God, he is from above, and he speaks in a heavenly way. In fact, He bears witness in verse 32 to what He has seen and heard. What has He seen and heard? He has seen and heard the words of the Father, unlike anyone else. He is the true prophet. And not only that, He has received the Spirit without measure. Verse 34 for He gives the Spirit without measure. And because Christ has received the Spirit without measure, He is able to speak all the words the Father has given to Him. He has authority. But He also has the mark of authority in verse 35. The Father loves the Son. And how does the Father love the Son? He has given all things into His hand. He has given him authority and power. Now, before we conclude, can I just ask you this question? If Jesus must increase and we must decrease, and if you could just go back to when John the Baptist actually uttered those words, and imagine for a moment that John the Baptist has said those words as though for the first time, and then over there Jesus is there with his disciples and they are baptizing, and John says, He must increase and I must decrease. What ended up happening not just to John, but to Jesus when he said that? How did he increase? Did he increase? Yes, he increased in the eyes of the Father, but in the eyes of his disciples, and in the eyes of the world, and in the eyes of everyone watching, he decreased. He became humble to death, even death on a cross. He decreased by being rejected, by having to say, I am a worm and not a man. He decreased by being abandoned. He decreased by having people not listen to Him. He decreased in a thousand different ways because in actual fact, the way to increase according to God's ways and purposes is by decreasing even for the Son of God. He must increase. I must decrease. But in His decreasing, He's increasing. And that's what Philippians 2 is all about. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Or, in the ESV, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. You're to have this mind. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, that being in very nature God, what? Did not consider equality with God, the one from heaven, something to be exploited, something to be snatched at, something to be grasped, but willingly made himself nothing. He decreased. Taking the form of a servant and being found in the appearance of a servant, He humbled Himself to death. Yes, even what? Death on a cross. He decreased, He decreased, He decreased. But then what? Therefore, God has exalted Him has increased him. God has increased him. Not Jesus. He didn't increase himself. He decreased. And the mathematics from heaven are that if you want to increase, you must decrease. And so God gives him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that He is Lord. That is increasing when all of heaven and earth one day will bow down and say, He is Lord. Why? Because He decreased and decreased and decreased. And if you want to have any joy in this world, you must decrease a lot, a lot of our lack of joy is because we haven't really believed that Christ must come first and we put ourselves first. And notice what John says in light of Christ coming first. He says, my joy is complete. Because I don't have to worry anymore about advancing myself at the expense of others. I don't need to worry about criticizing other people so that I can feel good about myself. When my sole focus is the glory of Christ in this world, and I preach that way and live that way, it gives me the greatest freedom. And the greatest freedom brings the greatest joy. Because He must increase, I must decrease. And a lot of miserable people in this world are miserable for the simple fact that their daily motto is, I must increase at the expense of everybody else. When Christ is saying, do you want to be first? then you must be last and servant of all. And he leads by example. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank You for Your Word and ask that we may not simply say the words that John said, but believe them and live them. That Christ may have the glory and that we may find that in humbling our own Selves is where true freedom is found. Bless us to that end, for Jesus' sake and His glory. Amen. Before we come to the Lord's Supper, we'll have the offering, and then I will uh, read the words.